0: You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Greetings from the Cross Church campus. My name is Jeremy Winters, and I serve as the campus pastor of Cross Church, the second campus, the other campus of our church family. I uh, just want to thank y'all for letting me be here. Um, I guess Scott had a little too much turkey this weekend uh, and called in the lefty, all right? Uh, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, just uh, Today we're going to be closing out and ending our sermon series on spiritual warfare. Up until now, we've been in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, which is where our reading was just a moment ago. And we've looked at how Paul has been instructing the church, instructing believers, instructing you and I to stand firm against the, the strategies and the tactics of the enemy to deceive the nations. And then we do that by being equipped with God's armor uh, to help us kind of stand fast and, and to handle his advances and his attacks. And that's kind of our responsibility that, that spiritual warfare is real. We're in the middle of it. And so we've got to gear up and be ready to stand firm in this fight uh, against the enemies of God. And the letter that we've been looking at in Ephesians chapter 6 is a letter from Paul, who is in prison, writing to this church that he knows so well and loves so dearly in the city of Ephesus, instructing them of these things. that as they live, as they endure, as they bear witness to Jesus Christ, that they're in the middle of spiritual warfare and that you and I are as well. This morning we're going to pivot slightly to another character, who's also engaged his entire life in spiritual war. Somebody who's a battle-hardened, seasoned veteran of the faith, who's seen lots of victories and lots of defeats. In the Apostle John. You may know John. He's the beloved disciple. He's a part of the big three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, right? He gets that, that, that name, the beloved. It's him that, that Jesus entrusts his mother Mary uh, to when he's dying on the cross. He's trained by Jesus for over three years on how to handle spiritual warfare, how to engage the enemy, how to advance the gospel and the mission. Uh, he's there at the beginning and the birth of the church, right? And in the midst of all that spiritual warfare that he saw through his very long life, He saw a lot of victories in his life, success after success and victory after victory. He was there when Jesus performed signs and miracles that no one had ever really seen in that way. He saw the lame walk, the blind see. He saw Jesus literally walk on water. That one still blows my mind to this day. He was there on the mount when when Jesus, at the transfiguration of Jesus, when Moses and Elijah show up, he saw all of that. He was there when his friend, his teacher, his Savior was crucified on the cross. He stood there and watched. But he was also there when Jesus was resurrected to new life as well. He was there at the birth of the church, seeing the gospel spread, the Holy Spirit coming down on Pentecost, and the first converts, the first churches born and birthed, the the advancement of the disciples across Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. He saw all those things. He himself pastored probably likely in the city of Ephesus at this church from Ephesians chapter 6 that Paul was writing to later in his life. Success after success and victory after victory. But he also saw his fair share of defeats as well. He watched as one of those who was closest to him, who he lived with and worked with and trained with and did ministry with, Turned on Jesus in the garden. He watched and heard and received notes and letters as, as the disciples were spread and dispersed and exiled from the city of Jerusalem because of persecution. Through the years, he would receive word that his brother James died, martyred for the faith, that the other disciples whom he knew and loved died, martyred for the faith. Even so, he himself was persecuted church history would tell us that they tried to martyr John as well. They literally tried to boil him alive and it didn't work. So they exiled him on an island of Patmos to live out his days. And after all of those victories that he would see through his life and all of the defeats and the battles lost that he would see in his life as well. He comes to the end of his life, that, that war-torn, battle-hardened, admiral in God's army, and he receives a fresh word from Jesus Christ himself. If you've got your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open up with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, if you're not familiar with where that is, that's the very last book in the New Testament in the Bible. It's probably like the last two or three pages. Depending on how big your font in your Bible is or how many study notes you have, it might be a little bit further back from that. But Revelation chapter 19, we're going to be picking up in verse 11 this morning. See, in the book of Revelation, Jesus pulls back the curtain and shows John and shows us everything. After everything that John has endured, after all the victories, after all the defeats that he's endured, Jesus promises John and he promises you and I, battle hardened soldiers. That there will certainly be an end to spiritual warfare. There is a day coming when the war will be over. Woo! I'm excited about that. And when Christ finally does come and usher in the end of spiritual warfare, there will be rest for you and I who have been engaged in spiritual warfare for our entire lives. Believer, I'm here to remind you today that it's not about your victories. It's not about your defeats, but it's about the ultimate victory of Jesus Christ when he returns. So look with me at Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. We're going to look first at the king's arrival. The king's arrival, beginning at verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What an incredible picture of Jesus Christ. The return of the king. This is an amazing picture, an amazing description of how you and I are to recognize King Jesus when he finally does return, when we see him face-to-face just the way John had seen him in real life, face-to-face and in person. Look at the description there, right? I love that it shows that he's riding on this white horse, this this symbol of righteousness and vindication and purity, that he's riding on his clothed in this white robe dipped in blood. And if you imagine it from the point of view of the apostle John, The last time that John saw Jesus riding on an animal animal, would have been the triumphal entry. Think of all the hopes and the expectations of the Jewish people as they're coming into this festival season, and, and they're hoping for and waiting for this Messiah to arrive on a mighty stallion on this white horse to ride in and to overthrow their oppressors in the Roman government. Instead, Jesus rides in on a colt, on a donkey, in humility very different way than they ever anticipated. Last time that John would have seen Jesus with blood on him would have been his own blood. Beaten, crucified, mocked, strung on a cross to die. you got to imagine John as he's looking at this picture and is seeing his friend and his teacher and his savior, Jesus, on this horse with this white robe, with a crown, this is who he was expecting and anticipating all along. This is the Messiah that he's been waiting for. This is where his hopes and expectations are. In this picture of Jesus. Look at all the other descriptions, that he is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is the picture of a warrior king coming back, a a conquering king, uh, taking over and taking names of the enemy, right? On his head are many diadems, many crowns. Literally, this is a description that he has all the authority over all of his creation. Nobody else tops him. He's got the crown of crowns, right? Because he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And here's what I want you to notice about this description. When you look at all of these descriptions of Jesus, you don't see any future tense verbs. What I mean by that is this is not a description of who Jesus is going to be in the future. He's not this now, but he's gonna look like this later. This is a picture of who Jesus Christ is now and who he has always been. Amen. The truth is is that no time, not as a helpless baby in a manger, not as a crucified Savior on a cross has Jesus ever been anything other than this a conquering king, a righteous judge, the captain of the armies of heaven. This is the picture of Jesus that we need to cling on to and hold on to. Because the image of Jesus that you have in your mind when you pray, when you worship Jesus, matters. It matters. Because the picture that you have in your mind, the image of Jesus, that, 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 that capture of Jesus that you have in your mind is ultimately who you're gonna worship and in essence, how you're gonna worship them as well. I think oftentimes we fall into one of several traps. When we picture Jesus, we don't picture him as Revelation chapter 19 image, do we? No, usually there's one of three ways we picture him. Christmas season is coming up, it's a wonderful season. Myself, this is my favorite Sunday of the year. This is the first Sunday it's cold enough to wear a sweater. Praise the Lord. Christmas season is arriving, and the joy of the reason for the season, and we celebrate the birth of our Savior, right? And it's that Christmas Jesus that we hold on to, that picture of sweet little infant baby Jesus that we hold in our arms, and we soothe him, and he's helpless and needs us. The other picture we get is kind of pre-Easter Jesus. Right, Picture of Jesus strung up on a cross, beaten, bruised, bleeding, seeming to us to be defenseless as he dies on a cross. The other picture is what I like to call his hippie Jesus. Really get this from the Gospels and the ministry of Jesus. Now, let's be honest, if you're reading Matthew, Mark, and John, generally when you're reading these stories of Jesus, you have the same mental picture that I do, oftentimes. Six foot White man, blue eyes, a perfectly manicured beard, long flowing brown hair. (laughs) In a white gown, always extending his arms like this as he walks. (laughs) Sandals probably made of hemp. Let's be honest, got a hacky sack in his back pocket. He is the Jesus of love always wins, peaceful, calm, pacifist Jesus. The problem with these images that we have of Jesus is they're only partially true. They were true at a time and a season. Revelation chapter 19 is who Jesus has always been and always will be. This is the Jesus that you and I are going to meet face to face one day. This is the Jesus that we should have in our minds as we worship him. Not as a helpless baby that we have to soothe and coddle, but as a conquering king coming in to rule over all of his creation. That's the Jesus that we worship. That's the picture of Revelation chapter 19 that we should take with us. And as members of the army of heaven, you and I can have great confidence in our captain, in our champion, in our savior, in our king, because he will return and he will fight for you and me. And so as we engage in spiritual warfare, as we stand firm against the the strategies and the tactics of the evil, when that is where our hope is, that we have to stand firm and hold fast until reinforcements arrive. King Jesus. Look with me next, the King's Alliance. So that's the King's Arrival. Next we see the King's Alliance. Look with me, Revelation Chapter 19, picking up in verse 17, really verses 17 through 19 there. It says this. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and the riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. All right, so the picture we have here is we've got two armies standing against one another, facing one another, getting ready for battle on this epic battlefield. Okay, on one side you've got King Jesus. All right, he's the guy that you're going to recognize because he's on a white horse, he's got a white cape, soaked in the blood of his victims as he is going for vengeance and vindication for his name and for his people with a crown of crowns and with i mean i always picture him with a brave heart style cross you know big broad sword but you know it says it's the word of god here so we'll go with that all right so this image of the sword that is the word of god and he's this conquering king and look at the description behind him verse 14 who's there the armies of heaven mounted on horses in white gowns as well Now, a lot of people assume this is probably angels. Maybe they're there, maybe they're not. I think for a variety of reasons that this is actually believers. These are the saints from the time of Noah to now. This is you and me who are on Team Jesus wearing that jersey. We're standing or riding behind Jesus. That's an amazing thing to think about, right? I mean, can you imagine? After all this lifetime of enduring hard-fought battles, sometimes winning, sometimes losing, seeing casualties right and left, betrayal of other people that we finally get to that end of our lives that final battlefield and we get to mount up on a horse just like jesus and put on a white cloak just like jesus except we won't have weapons because he's got the only one that matters and we get to stand behind him and say i'm with him i'm with him i'm wearing a robe that i don't deserve but it was given to me by my king and so i stand behind him he's going to take care of this and if you're like me, you're hoping that that horse is a Clydesdale that you ride because I'm a big guy. The other team, the other side facing King Jesus and, and the believers who are there with him is Satan, the, the, the Antichrist, right? The beast and the false prophet and the kings of the earth and everybody who, who is uh, thrown in with them and thrown in with them there. Uh, and and um, these are all the nations of the earth who have been deceived, right? This is Satan's number one strategy is to deceive the nations of the earth to make sure they don't hear the truth of Jesus Christ and follow him. And he's going to be somewhat successful in this strategy because Revelation 19 says that there's going to be kings of earth and men and women of all economic statuses and everything else that are going to be lined up behind them who have been deceived by the beast and the false prophet. The weird thing about this is as we stand there, if you're on Team Jesus and you're lined up behind him on your white horse with your white cloak, watching Jesus do his thing, you're going to look out across that battlefield and you're going to see people that you know. Maybe you're going to see a mom or a dad. Maybe a brother or sister. The person you sit next to in class. The coworker at work that you never got around to talking to the guy at Home Depot who helps you fix everything. There are going to be people over there who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ before, so never had a chance to follow Jesus. There are going to be people there who heard the name of Jesus Christ and heard the gospel, but were unwilling to repent of their sins and in faith believe in Jesus Christ, who willingly oppose him. Some of them we're going to recognize. Some of them we won't. And as these two armies line up against each other, look what happens next. It starts there in verse 17, right? This is, this is, I love this part. Okay, this is good. This is good. God sends an angel of the Lord with a message, right? It says that the angel is what? He's kind of standing in the sun, right? Everybody can see this angel. Everybody can hear this angel. And I want you, I want you to notice what this angel doesn't do. He doesn't look only at the armies against Jesus and start talking trash to them, Okay? Instead, he looks at the birds of the air and says, Hey, birds, come here. Gather around, little chitlins. Come on. There's a feast waiting for you. The battle hasn't started yet, but it's time to come on in for the feast. It's that guaranteed and that certain who's going to win this war that the angel, with a message from the Lord, says, Bring in the janitors and the hazmat suits before the battle even starts and go ahead and start cleaning up. This thing is over, it's done. In college, I went to Oklahoma Baptist University, go Bison, we love basketball. You know why we love basketball? There was no football. <laughs> and is the greatest sport. Uh, and so there was this thing that we did, and I'm sure other schools do this and stuff, but this is one of our things that about halfway through fourth quarter or something like that, if we knew, if it was certain Like there was no chance the other team was coming back. We had our foot on their throats and hitting the gas pedal. This thing is done. We're 20 plus point margin win at that point. All the student section who are standing up pull out all their keys. We all bring a big old load of keys that day and we start shaking them, start chanting, go start the bus, go start the bus, go start the bus, go start the bus. That was our way of telling the opposing team, all the fans and even the players on the on the court hey this thing's over just call it a day. throw it in y'all might as well go home we are and then usually we would walk out but we couldn't do that until halfway through the fourth quarter because you never know what's going to happen in a basketball game notice this happens at the beginning of the battle this is the greatest trash talking i've ever heard in the history of sports it is it's because It is that certain and that guaranteed because the one who is faithful and true has promised that this is what's going to happen. That those who line up against King Jesus and his armies who oppose him are going to be dealt with finally and decisively. This is not a fair fight at all. At all. Let me make one thing absolutely perfectly clear, still clear about this. In your life, there are only two teams. And you have the choice of which team you're going to be on. And there's only two choices. There's team Jesus, and there's team everything else. And you may think that there's enough time left that I can decide this when I'm in my 20s, when I'm in my 30s, when I'm in my 60s, when I'm in my 80s, that there's time for that later. The time is not guaranteed. And if you don't make a decision, a genuine decision to follow Jesus, a decision will be made for you, and you'll find yourself on the opposite side one day. There's still time to choose which jersey you're going to put on, which captain and king you're going to represent and pledge your fealty and loyalty and submit your life to. When you put on that Jesus jersey, right, what you're doing is you're you're declaring to the world in whom you believe and to whom you belong. You're making a statement to the world to those who know you and those who love you and those who don't know you. This is the person that I put all of my hope and my trust and my expectation in. When life is terrible, when I'm experiencing my defeats, this is who I depend on. When life is great and I'm experiencing victories, this is how I give glory to. There's only two choices. And at some point in your life, you are going to have to make a decision. Which team are you going to be on? Which side of the battle are you going to find yourself one day? Look with me next at the king's attack. The king's attack, picking up in verse 20. That is a scene. When I read this story, I can't help but think of one of the greatest moments in cinematic history. Happened a couple of years ago with the release of Avengers Endgame. For those of you who don't know what Avengers is, you don't know what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, let me set it up for you a little bit, okay? Marvel Cinematic Universe is the story of over 20 movies telling kind of one unified story, very much like the Bible, right? Lots of characters, one unified story. We get characters like Captain America, the real hero, Iron Man, the true villain of the story, Thor, and everybody else, right? And they're waging this epic battle against the big bad guy. His name's Thanos. He's trying to wipe out half of the universe's population. He's a bad dude, and it's going to take all of them. And in this final fight scene, the, the, the last battle scene that happens in this epic war there's this wonderful scene where it's like it's Captain America against Thanos, and it's just the two of them. And Thanos keeps punishing Captain America over and over and over again. And there's this moment where Captain America picks himself up and he looks at him and he goes, I can do this all day. But you and I, as the audience, know he can't. It's like one more punch and he's down for the count, and this thing is over unless help arrives. And in that moment, the tide turns because portals open up. You know, it's sci-fi. And armies of every, uh, every Avenger and every hero and every soldier from all the last 20-some-odd movies come out of these portals and stand behind Captain America and they go, Avengers, assemble. And you know the tide has turned. You get goosebumps thinking about it. Because you know the bad guy's are gonna finally lose because reinforcements finally arrive to help Captain America. Far too often we think of Revelation 19 in terms of Avengers Endgame, where Jesus is Captain America and he's on the ropes and he needs help and reinforcements from us, the armies of angels. That you and I have a role in this final battle. And that couldn't be further from the truth. In in reality, this is more like David versus Goliath, where the sole soldier steps out of the battlefield in front of the armies and takes on the big bad guy all by himself because he's the only one that can. Believer, don't overestimate your own importance. It's not about your victories. It's not about your defeats. It's about the victory that only Jesus Christ can and will secure. He doesn't need your help. Did you notice that we don't have any weapons in that picture? Because we're not gonna be doing any fighting. You and I are simply there to bear witness to the victory that Jesus will secure all by himself. It's certain. We also tend to think a lot of this as an epic struggle, unfortunately, between two equal opponents, right? It's like Jesus and Satan, and they're out there, and there are these equal forces, and they're mixing it up, and the the battle goes on for hours and days, and it's even-handed. And then finally, at the last moment... Jesus delivers the striking blow after days of this grudge match, and he goes down and he's all tired. But again, it's like David versus Goliath, where Jesus steps out, and with a singular, decisive strike, knocks down the enemy. Like I said, this is not a fair fight. When Jesus comes and returns, and delivers the decisive final blow, it will be that singular, decisive, no competition between the two, because one is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and the other is not, and there's a big difference between the two. That victory is certain and guaranteed, and that's where you and I have our confidence and hope as believers. That as we engage in spiritual warfare, All we have to do is stand firm and hold our ground, locked arm to arm with our brothers and sisters in Christ, waiting for our champion and our king to arrive and handle his business like only he can. Over the last few years, uh, we've been kind of taken by this uh, famous musical that's going on called Hamilton. If you've got Disney Plus, you've probably seen it at this point. Um, it tells the story in musical form, in rap form, which is a lot of fun to listen to and to watch, of Alexander Hamilton uh, and his story of being an immigrant coming in and rising to the ranks of George Washington's right-hand man uh, and one of the founding fathers of our nation and kind of tells the story of the other founding fathers there uh, as well, kind of tracks his life. But there's this, there's this consciousness throughout that history The the risks that they're taking, these founding fathers are taking in sparking a revolution against the the British Empire, where you know that as they act out every time, as they jump into the fray and are fighting this fight against this oppressive regime over them from a distance, that there are going to be serious consequences if they're on the losing end of this. Economic consequences, relational consequences, probably their life. This is mutiny after all. And yet there's this common theme throughout Alexander Hamilton's life and, and many of the founding fathers where they're willing to risk those things regardless because at the end of the day, they want to be on the right side of history. And when they're dead and that when they're gone, they want future generations to look back on them and say they were on the right side. They acted at the right moment at the right time and did the right thing and it changed everything. And so they were willing to do anything for that. I wanna ask you one simple question this morning. Are you on the right side of human history? There's no more question more important than that. When the day comes when you've endured spiritual warfare for your entire life and you find yourself on the battle, final battlefield, will you find yourself standing behind King Jesus or the opposing armies, the enemies of God? Where do you find yourself right now? Are you on Team Jesus wearing his jersey or are you wearing some other jersey of some other person that doesn't compare to him? If you have no idea, if you're standing on the opposing army or you think you're a bystander and don't know what's going on, the day is not too late for you to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ to repent of your sins and to believe by faith that Jesus really did live, that he really did die, that he really was resurrected to life, and in that, that he took care of your sin problem and your punishment, and because of him, you can have his righteousness on your life and be restored in a right relationship with God himself. That is the hope of Jesus Christ. That is the hope that you have today, and it's not too late for you to decide which side you're going to be on. There's only one winning side. There's only one right side, King Jesus. For the believers in the room, you know where you are. You know where you stand. You know you're gonna be on that white horse, that white Clydesdale, with your white cloak, standing and watching and bearing witness to Jesus Christ and the victory that he's gonna secure in this final battle all by himself. How's the war going right now? How's the, how are the spiritual warfare battles that you're experiencing in your life going? Are you seeing successes? Are you seeing victories? Are you seeing moments in your life where God is delivering you and providing for you, and it's only by his grace that you're able to see victories and success? Seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ, people discipled into maturity in the faith, how is that going for you? Are you experiencing defeats? Experiencing losses and casualties, injuries along the way? If so, that's okay. Our confidence and our hope is that one day the king will return, and that you and I only have to stand firm long enough for him to arrive. Which side are you on today? How's the war going? Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.